You know, we're doing uh, this moving forward in faith, and there is a faith, and there's a confident faith. Say, there's a faith, and there's a confident faith. And that's really what I want us to get to this morning. And, and I'm not going to, this is like a 20-point sermon, but we're going to cut it down to about 10 or something, so... There's a trust when you know somebody's going to catch you, right? right? When you can see them, there's a confidence. Did you see how confident she was? Fall fast, she was going to fall forward, whatever way. She, I'm ready, Jesus, I'm ready. And don't, have you ever been that way? You just like, you got back from youth camp, you got back from a marriage conference, and everything's like, man, you can just take on the world, and you're ready. Come on, I'm just falling, whatever you, and all of a sudden, something hits you, and it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out, and all of a sudden, you're like, hmm. I don't know if I trust Jesus in that. You know, I, I trust him for this, but I'm not so sure I trust him for my healing. I'm trusting him for my deliverance, but I'm not so sure I'm trusting him with my marriage. Hmm. I, I trust him to save me, but I'm not so sure he can keep me. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Because we're going to look at some scriptures this morning. Philippians is one incredible book of the Bible. It's just four, it's just four chapters. And if you want to look at a, a great book that doesn't take a whole long, lot, lot of time to read, pick out Philippians. It's one of the most positive, encouraging, K-Love uh, <laughs> chapters that you can read or books that you can read. Remember last week, or, and we've been talking about Paul, and I finally got to preach last week, and how his purpose was to get up. He was going to go, where was his end game? Where was he going to go to after he was in Asia? And then he was going to go where next? I'm going to just test you. No, next he went to where? Jerusalem. Remember, he went from Asia to Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, he went to, now you can answer, Rome. And he had a, he had a purpose in going to Rome. Everything that Paul did was with purpose. Everything that you do in the morning, when you wake up, you should have purpose in your morning when you wake up. It's not about, I'm gonna, I, I have to go to work. It's, you get to go to work. I have to go to school. No, you get to go to school. Because why? Because God's got something there lined out for you. Just like Rose was saying, I was, praying for an, uh, I was praying for a divine encounter, and God finally, he showed, he, it, not only did he highlight it, he had somebody point. Yeah. Now, that's a pretty good highlight. But she was looking for it. you got to be looking for it. The Bible says he's already prepared good works beforehand for us to do. you got to look for them. And so Paul, he's, he's, got, he's got this plan, I'm going to Rome. Now, I don't think he knew getting to Rome was going to be exactly the way he thought it was. He knew there was going to be trials and tribulations, didn't he? This is just weird looking at people in the wrong seats. <laughs> just, what are you doing over there, Brother Ed? And, you know, Terry and Jeannie right there. And, whoa. It's just cool. I was thinking when people were up here praying, they probably walked back and went, oh, I'm not sitting there. Had to go look for where they were actually moved to. But he, he had this purpose to get to Rome because he wanted to check on the church there. He hadn't, he hadn't been there before, so he wanted to go. And the thing about it is when he gets to Rome, guess what? He gets, he's, he's, already on, he's already under custody on the whole trip. He's, on, he's been in chains the whole time, and they take him to a prison. Now, that wasn't like a prison that we know of. As they said it was like a house arrest. And, but here's the thing. He had a Roman soldier chained to him all the time. Can you imagine having somebody chained to you the whole time besides your wife or your husband? <laughs> I wouldn't even want that. <laughs> but he was, and he was in prison, and he wrote this incredible letter, and, and Timothy was there with him. So I'm reading from the Passion this morning. I haven't read, read from the Passion in a while. So let's, let's start with 
Now, verse 1, it's a good place to start. From Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus, the anointed one. That's the Messiah. It's another way to say Messiah. To all his devoted followers in Philippi, including your pastors, to all the servant leaders of the church, may the blessings of divine grace and supernatural peace that flow from God, our wonderful Father, and our Messiah, Lord Jesus, be upon your lives. Now, that's a pretty good introduction, isn't it? That's a pretty good way to start a conversation. Hey, God bless you. I just want I bless you with the peace of God, with the grace of God, as you start your letter or you start your conversation with somebody. And he started it out like that. See, he had founded this church in Philippi like 11 years ago. It was the first church established in Asia by Paul. So he had a real, he had a real affinity. He was like, really loved, really loved them. And it's like, you know, it's like his, this is a work that I began. And, and he wanted to check on them and make sure they were okay. But he couldn't get there because he was where? In prison. Verse 3, my prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give him thanks for you with great joy. Okay, he's in prison. Great joy. Okay. I'm so grateful for our union and our enduring partnership that began the first time I presented to you the gospel. Now look at verse 6. I pray with great faith. Say great faith. faith. I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced. Say fully convinced. That the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New King James says this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who started the work in you? Jesus, God. Jesus started the work in you when you you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He started work. You are a work in progress. Say, I'm a work in progress. Now, who's going to complete the work? He is. He says he will complete it. Listen, the thing about it is we have this confident faith that we are secure in our faith. Say, I'm secure in my faith. Now, and I'm not preaching about once saved, always saved, and that you can lose your salvation. That's a whole nother sermon. Uh, here's what I want to encourage you with, because a lot of people have a problem with that, because the way it's taught in, in different churches, teach it in a different way. And, and I think most of you all know my stance on that. I truly believe that once you're truly saved, that you, you're saved. Because he started the work in you and he'll complete it. The problem is a lot of people don't, get really get, don't really get saved. And so down the road, when they, they start trying to figure it out in their flesh, all of a sudden they can't do it anymore and they give up. And they said, I don't want this. I'm done with that. Okay? So he, he's saying, though, but if, it really, if God started to work in you and you really surrendered to him, then he's going to complete the work. No matter all the pitfalls and the things that you go through on the way. The times even that you backslide. He still got you. How many of you, when you backslide, you can still know the Holy Spirit was still, hey, what are you doing? Right? Well, if you didn't know, if he left you, then he wouldn't be speaking to you. So you got to know that with you, you've got to know that you're secure in your faith or you really can't move forward in faith because you're always going to be wondering. You can't really be a solid, uh, affirming a believer that's teaching other people about the, the goodness of God and all these things when you are waffling and waving all the time and people don't know one day from the next if you're a believer or you're not a believer. And see, they watch your life and they know that. They see the insecurity in your life. I lived a life of insecurity for 17 years as a, as, as, as a person that went to church. And I thought I had it all figured out. But I didn't because I was living according to my flesh and not according to the Spirit of God. So if you're trying it in your flesh, I want to tell you right now, you will fail. It's a given. If you think you're going to make your way to heaven because you've done more good things than bad things, I'm sorry you can't get there because Jesus didn't die so we could be good or bad. 
He died for your sin, all of your sins, all of my sins. He said there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the blood, not through your blood, through Jesus' blood. Oh, I just worked and worked and worked so hard to please God. Listen, he wants us to please him, but he wants you to acknowledge that you can't do it without him. We're saved by grace through faith, guys. And it's a confident faith. I want you to be secure. We're supposed to, we're supposed to actually check ourselves and see if we're in the faith. If there's no evidence, you might want to go, woohoo, I need to get saved. If there's no evidence that Jesus Christ lives in you, you need Jesus Christ. There is no such theology that says, I got saved and I can do whatever I want to. I can sit all that I want to and God's okay with that. That is not a good theology. That's the hyper grace thing that you hear spun out of control. Like the hyper prosperity message and the hyper healing messages and all these other hyper messages that go way beyond scripture so they can, somebody can actually have a, a way to have their own ministry of that certain type of ministry. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless people with prosperity. And all you hear from them is, is prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And you never hear the whole counsel of God. Give, 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 give. Hey, we've got an anointing cloth. It's only $25. Mail it in and we'll get you healed. You need a word from the prophet, send a hundred bucks and he'll give you a word. Listen, that is baloney, that's malarkey, that is, whew. That's bull shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I've never said that in the pulpit before. Y'all were really scared right there. Y'all religious stuff would start rising up. He said bull shirt. Oh. My wife is not even here to tell me I'm, I've got to stop. Where are you, honey? Uh, you got to get back over here and help me. I, I'm a, I'll get way off. She's right here in the front. She usually says, hey, move on. Move on. That's enough. I have nobody to. Michelle, can you do it? Aretha? Uh, somebody. Brandy, help me out here. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of my fault, wasn't it? I'm sorry about that. See, God wants you to be confident of your faith. But the thing is, we can only be confident of our faith if our faith is in God. In and of itself, faith is just faith. It's just trust. It's like, how many of you have done the trust fall test before in a leadership conference of some kind? It wasn't even church, just secular. Fall back, you know. I saw a video, one of those reels the other day where the guy was standing there and they were talking, saying, okay, now we want you to really trust us. And they said fall, and they thought he knew to fall back and he just fell forward. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't specific enough. <laughs> Face plant. <laughs> but the thing is, we should be clay on the potter's wheel and God or Jesus the Father, however you want to put it, is, puts pressure on us. Sometimes we get some pressure. Anybody going through some pressure right now? But through that pressure, he's shaping us. If you just put a blob of clay on a wheel and throw some water on it and just let it spin and spin and spin, nothing's going to happen until the, until the potter puts his hands to it. It starts shaping us and forming us and making us into the image of God. That's what he wants to do in your life. But see, that's what we're... How many of you are going through some trials right now? You see, you can look at that trial as, I can't stand this, I don't want to do this, get me out of this, God. Or you can say, God, what are you teaching me right now? 
Because my response hadn't been very good, and God said, that's why I'm keeping you where you're at, so your response will change. Riley, you're in the wrong place, too. Man, these guys have moved everywhere. I like it. See, you might think that, now this is my new chair. <laughs> Next week, that other person's going to come back. Uh-uh, that was just one Sunday. <laughs> I like this, what Zig Ziglar said. Anybody know who Zig Ziglar is? Oh, okay, ZZ. He used to be in ZZ Top. You remember that? No, he wasn't. Okay. He said this, confidence is going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and taking tartar sauce with you. Isn't that good? That's confidence. We're not going after him in a ship, just a rowboat. Bring the tartar sauce. We're going to kill that sucker. We're going to have some fish fry tonight. Paul was so persuaded of Christ in the church at Philippi. He was heaping this praise upon them. See, they were helping helping the church. They were taking up offerings. They were giving them to Paul so he could take them back to Jerusalem. And through through all this time, all these years, they had been partnering with Paul. He had been partnering with the church at Philippi. And they were like, they loved Paul and he loved them. And there was this great union and unity between them. God wants you to have confidence in him this morning. What, what would it be like if, if you were, let's say you were, how many of you like sports? How many of you like, um, anybody, tennis, any tennis players in here? That's not a sport. <laughs> how about pickleball? <laughs> how, about, how about baseball? All right, here, here's the thing. Pick a sport. Pick a sport that you like, if you like a sport. If it's needlework, if it's pick needlework. And you're going to a competition, state needlework championship competition. <laughs> See how fast you can needlework. But what if, just what if it was rigged and you already knew you were going to win when you went? See, that's how it is with us as Christians. It's rigged. It's already rigged. God's already set it up. He said, in the end, I win. Because he wins, we win. So whatever you're going after and you think, well, I don't know if I can have confidence. Here's the thing is, even if you fall fat on your flat, fat on your flat. Well, you know, that's the fallback. Even if you fail, God says, you're a winner. Come on. Get up. Let's do this again. Seven times you fall, seven times get on up. That's, how, that's why we can have confidence in him. And Lord, you don't even know what I did. Oh, yes, yeah, I do, he says. I know what you were thinking. I know what you said. I know what you did. Get back up. Repent. We win. I've won. My son won for you. He paid the price. He paid the price for the front row ticket at the concert. Anybody ever get a free ticket to a concert? Anybody? How cool is that? Guess what? It wasn't free. Somebody paid for it. It's like the playing Monopoly and you get the get out of jail free card. Somebody paid for us to get out of the jail of life that we were in, the jail of lostness that we were in, the prison of darkness that we were in. Jesus paid the price that we could step out of that darkness into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. And he says, now, here you, I've got you. Let's start this walk together. We're going to walk it through. We're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But, look, but there's a day coming when I'm coming back, and I want to say, you know what? He's mine. She's mine. Amen. 
But God, I didn't deserve it. I know you didn't deserve it. Not one of us do. Not one of us do. Quit trying to do what only God can do in your life. Quit trying to do what only God can do in your life. That's called works of the flesh. Verse 7. I'll get about halfway through this sermon. That's okay. I'm going to see my grandson tomorrow in California, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's no wonder I pray with such confidence. Say confidence. confidence. So you start out with confidence. I'm confident in what God's doing in your life. Now he says, I pray with such confidence since you have a permanent place in my heart. You have remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God even though I'm here in chains for standing up for the truth of the gospel. Only God knows how much I dearly love you with the tender affection of Jesus, the anointed one. The second thing I want you to see this morning is a confident faith that makes for powerful prayers. Doesn't it? Why pray if you're not confident that God's going to listen and hear and answer? Just stop praying. Because he's not going to answer a faithless prayer. So when we go to the Lord in prayer, we have to have confidence. God, are you out? Yeah, I'm there. Are you hearing my voice? Yes, I hear you. God, can I ask you something? Yes, you can ask me something, Harold. God, will you answer me? Yes, I'll answer you. I have a confidence that God listens to my voice, hears my prayers, and that he speaks to me and that I hear him. Do you have that kind of confidence when you pray? Or are your prayers like, whew, try to fix, fix one of them, Lord. I got all these requests. Here, Lord, just take whatever you can. Just, well, I'm not even sure you're there, Lord, but if you're there, here, I'm going to give these to you. That's like a wishing well. That's like throwing a penny in a wishing well and saying, I just wish on something. No, we, have, we go to God with confidence. We enter the throne room of grace with confidence, with boldness. He said to do that because he said, I make promises and I keep my promises. He completes what he starts. I want to ask the wives this, all the wives, how many projects does your husband have right now that he has not finished? How many? Five, ten, twenty? Well, I'll do it when I get around to it. Well, get him one of these things that's around and it says T-U-I-T on it. Give him around to it. Say, now you can do it. You can finish the job. You see, as human beings, we're not, we don't complete things sometimes that we start. How many will agree with me? How many of you got something you've started you haven't finished? Many books. But we'll finish a mini-series on Netflix. Ooh. All right, let's close in prayer. But honey, let's just watch 15 more minutes of the next one. Then it becomes 30, 40, and you're 2 a.m. <gasps> Did you see the end of it? No, we're going to have to watch it tomorrow. I fell asleep. <laughs> Just saying. God wants you to be confident in your prayers because God is confident. God is good. God knows everything about you. You're not going to surprise God. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we think we're going to surprise God with our, with, with our confession? You did what? <laughs> He's not surprised. 
So a confident faith makes for powerful prayers. That's what he's saying. He said, I pray with such confidence. You know why? Because over and over and over and over and over in his life, he saw God come through. He never saw God not come through. Is that good English? He never saw God not come through. And you know what? We think, well, he didn't come through for me. He just didn't come through for you the way he, you thought he should come through for you. So get that little thing off. Just wipe that off the board of your brain. He didn't come through. He didn't do what I asked him to do. You know why he doesn't do what you ask him to do sometimes? Because you ask the wrong things. It says it in James. We ask, he said, you ask amiss. And it's usually because we're selfish and we ask for something. And God says, you know what? I know what you're asking. And sometimes he'll actually give you what you're asking for just so you'll learn something. Lord, you told me not to marry him. <laughs> but I persisted. Yeah, I've heard that one a few times in my office. So be careful what you pray for, but pray with confidence as the Holy Spirit leads you to pray. Amen? Amen. Verse 9, I continue to pray for your love to grow and increase beyond measure. Bringing you into the rich revelation of spiritual insight in all things. This will enable you to choose the most excellent way of all, becoming pure and without offense, say without offense, offense. until the unveiling of Christ. And you will be filled completely. Say filled completely. completely. What are you filled with? He said with the fruits of righteousness that are found in Jesus, the anointed one, beginning bringing great praise and glory to God. A confident faith overcomes offense. A confident faith overcomes offense. What, what do you mean by that, Pastor? See, we get offended very easily. Matter of fact, you should probably rebuke that, the, the, thought, the, the, the saying that I just made. No, I don't. <laughs> right? But we do. We get offended pretty easily in America. If things don't go our way, if somebody doesn't do what we think they should have done, or they hurt you, oh, I hurt my, they hurt my feelings. How many times have I heard that as a pastor? They just hurt my feelings. And, you know, the old saying was build a bridge and get over it, but that doesn't fly very well. <laughs> I did, and I fell off the bridge, Pastor. <laughs> but when you have a confidence in God, if, you're, if your faith is so confident in God, when somebody says something that slights you or somebody doesn't forgive you, when you ask them to forgive you, or whatever the, the case is, you've got to be so confident in, in your standing with God and your position in Christ that you're not going to let that knock you for a loop. You're not going to let that kick you out of the church. How many people, I mean, I don't even want to ask this one because I'm not, don't raise hands, but I've done this before. Most of y'all are here because you, not most of you, many of you are here because you left another church. I did. <laughs> How many of you? Well, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> but a lot of people leave not for the right reasons. They leave because they were offended. Yeah. Not because the pastor preached wrong theology, but just because they were offended. Because the pastor didn't pray for you. He sent an altar ministry team to pray for you. Well, I wanted the pastor. I wanted the senior pastor to pray for me. Well, if I didn't trust these people down here, I would be the only one praying down here. But I trust them all. And the reason I don't step down there and pray for everybody is because I don't want you to rely on me. I don't. 
I want, I want us to rely on one another. How are we ever going to get where we need to go if it's just me doing it or just the pastors on the staff? Well, we pay y'all. Y'all should do it. No, no. The Bible says we're all ministers of reconciliation. We all have a job to do. So when you don't, when you get your feelings hurt, what do you do? Well, God, I know that you've got this. I am confident in this. I'm confident in my, confident in my faith that you've got me, God. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to bring division between me and another brother or a sister in this body or any other body because I'm not going to allow offense to destroy my witness. <laughs> and if you've come here because you were offended from some other church and you didn't make it right with them before you came here, I would beg you to make it right. Because if you left another church because you're offended and you didn't make it right, you know what you did? You brought that crap right into here. And I say crap, because that's what it is. If I can say bullshit, I can say crap. <laughs> Woo, boy. <laughs> I, I, that, it's such, the enemy uses so, he uses offense to destroy churches, to destroy families, to destroy People, he just uses offense. And it, the Bible, even Jesus said, offense is going to come. It's going to come. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm just going to take my football. I'm going home. I'm not playing with them anymore. I'll come back. You're the only one with the football. You've done that before, haven't you, with kids? That one kid got upset, but he was the kid, that, the only kid that had the, the football. So you tried to make peace with him really fast. We should, you know, the Bible calls us, you know what the Bible says we're to be? Peacemakers. Yes. And if you're walking around offended all the time, you are not a peacemaker. Matter of fact, you're in rebellion. And you're in sin. Let's just call it what it is. It's just sin when we get offended and we, we mull it over and we rehearse it over and over. And we get angry and then we get bitter. And then we know, oh, we're supposed to forgive, but we don't forgive. Well, I've tried to forgive. Have you Really? There's some people right now in your life that you know you're supposed to forgive or you're supposed to go and ask them to forgive you. There are pastors that you have hurt because you thought the pastor hurt you and he didn't have a clue that he was hurting you. Yep. You might need to go and say, Pastor, I'm so sorry. It doesn't mean you, you have to rehash everything. You say, I'm just sorry. I left, church, I left that church and I was upset. And I just want you to know I'm, where I'm at, I'm happy. But I want you to know I, I'm, I want you to forgive me. I don't want to be a, be a part of division. I don't want to be a part of offense. I want to walk this walk out in peace and in joy and love and in harmony. I want to walk it out in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. I know what you're thinking. That pastor makes me laugh a lot, then he makes me mad. I'm going to finish with this one. I love this. Verse 12. I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered, but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel. Now think that. Where is that? Where is he at? He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. Big old burly guy. Probably doesn't smell too good. Okay? And he says, I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered. So what's happening in your life? Is it hindering your ministry? But help my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to what? 
expand and spread to many people. For now the elite Roman guards and the government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I'm here because of my love for the anointed one, for Jesus. And what, am I, when what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God all because of my chains. Now this may sound like a really weird point, but I want to say number four is a confident faith is attractive. It's attractive. We think if we, if we take this stand and we're confident, I'm not talking about cocky. I'm not talking about, oh, you know, how many of you know some self-righteous, religious, to-the-top people, and then they're, 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 they're going to put everybody down because they, they know it all? That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about he had this love for God. He had this love for Jesus. He had this love for people. He had this love for the Roman guard that he's tied to. That he's chained to. And we won't even, we, we get so mad at people because they don't look like us or smell like us or act like us. And here he was. How can I say, how, I need to get this guy. If I can get this Roman soldier to love Jesus. Man, can you imagine the witness? If he could just get us to love him and love people the way he did, can you imagine what he can do with us? Can you just imagine? There's nothing more attractive than, than, and, than a person that lives a life of integrity and character and love and Jesus just oozes out of them. People are not going to run from you unless it's, they're demonized. I'm I'm serious. They may run from you if they're demonized, but if they're searching for fulfillment in life and they see the walk that you're walking and the joy that you exhibit at the gym or at the school or wherever you work when things are in chaos at work and people are nitpicking and backbiting, but you're not joining in. Or they're, they're meeting and they're telling the dirty jokes and the guy goes, you know, I got to go, guys. You don't have to be religious. Or when somebody offers you a drink, you oh, I don't drink. I'm a Christian. You don't have to do that. Say, no, thank you. Let them watch your life. Let them watch your walk. As you walk this thing out, you're working out your salvation. You're you're a work in progress. He started a good work in you. And listen, he's going to complete it. You may not complete your task. You may still have the garage that you can't get your car in. And you told your wife you're going to clean out the garage so we can get our car in there. You told her that three years ago. You may not have finished your task, but listen, God, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Did you know he was speaking prophetically when he said that? Because he hadn't been, he hadn't been to the tomb yet. He hadn't been resurrected. He was saying, it is finished. He completed it. He completed what he was called to do, what his father sent him here to do. He completed the task. You see, he says, I'm in you and you're in me. And if he completed the task, he's, go- he's going to give you the strength to complete your walk, complete your task, even through the trials, even through the tribulations, even through the backsliding, even through the failures. He is not going to let go of you. You can be confident of that. The Bible says, I will, he says, I will never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. Secure in your faith. Confident in your faith. Not perfect, but living with the perfect one in you. Amen.
Paul's faith was not just a testimony to the Roman guards, it was a testimony to the church. And I want, to see, I want you to see what they saw. They saw that Paul had joy in the midst of a trial. If you read Philippians, you'll see, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Joy, 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 joy. How could he have such joy when he's in prison? How could he have such joy? But that's what the people were seeing. Do people, I'm going to ask you a question. In your hardest times, in your most difficult times, do, do people see the joy in your life? I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about, yeah, laughing all the time. I'm talking about the joy, that down deep sense of peace, that steadiness through the trials and through the tribulations. Do they see that in you? That's what they were seeing in Paul. They saw this also in Paul, that God would take care of Paul in any circumstance he was ever in. Shipwrecks, beatings, whatever he had to go through, God always took care of Paul. Even up to the point where they cut his head off, God said, I got you. Are we, are we, does the world see that in us? That no matter what we're going through, sickness, disease, pain, suffering, loss of job, all the things that can happen in the cares of life, what does the world see your response to be? That's a really good gauge to see if you're maturing in your walk. Because if you're still backing up and doing the same things again because you lost your job and you're going out and doing the same old things that you used to when you were dead, that's what the world's looking at. But Paul, the, the people were looking at Paul going, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't seem like anything that happens to him sways him or moves him. You know why? Because he didn't count his life dear to himself. That's later on. And the last thing I want you to see this morning is that they saw that God could still use Paul even in prison. Where are you this morning? Would y'all stand?